This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi, everyone. Christina Mendonca here, and this is a fresh agenda where we talk to innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. Thank you for being here in this little space, tiny little space in the digital universe. I appreciate your time. I've got a great guest for you today, Peter Rubin from Wired Magazine. Uh, He's fantastic. And he's going to talk about AI and VR. And even if you're not into those things right now, uh, chances are you will be because all of that technology is coming to everyday devices that we use all the time. So Peter Rubin coming up on the podcast. Uh, First, I want to just um, thank those of you who are here, who have been coming back week after week to listen to these podcasts. Um, I I hope you're enjoying them. I hear from some of you. I'd love to hear from more of you. Uh, I really treasure this time each week uh, that I spend with you because I feel like things are really busy right now in my life. And I know things are busy in your life too, which is even more flattering. You would take the time uh, to spend this time with me. But uh, I really find that this gives me an opportunity each week to kind of slow down, think about a big issue that I want to present, something I want to talk to you about, and then bring you a guest that I really enjoy talking to because they bring something of value to my life. So that's my whole goal with this podcast, A Fresh Agenda. Bring something to you that uh, can help you in your everyday life or just something interesting. And I think it's because, uh, you know, there are different kinds of people in the world. I'm kind of a connector, I've found out. And I like to connect information to people. Um, One of my favorite things to do. So the book I want to talk to you about this week that I'm reading is called Four Seconds, All the Time You Need to Replace Counterproductive Habits with Ones That Really Work. It's by Peter Bregman. I'm not all the way through the book. Um, I've just been kind of skimming it and waiting for my husband to finish (laughs) so I can take it from him. Uh, But I'm already picking up some fantastic uh, hints and tips from the book. And one of them that I will have, uh, I'll ask you to think about this week is something he calls, don't let the package distract you from the message. And I think in this kind of heightened um, political time where things are so tense with the election just having happened uh, or going on today as I launched this podcast, I think that people are just more apt to just snap at each other, especially on social media. And uh, I really think this is an important lesson. Don't let the package distract you from the message. And in the beginning of the chapter, he talks about uh, his daughter that got a message uh, from her boyfriend that he was going to break up with her. And he sent the message via text. And he talks about how, as a parent, uh, he just couldn't get over the fact that the message came in by text. And, and got distracted by the packaging of the message instead of the actual message was um, heartbroken daughter now because the boyfriend has broken up with her. And I think that a lot of times, I know I got a couple of emails this week that uh, it was the packaging uh, of the message that I kind of got my back up. And I had to like stop and, and think about it and pull back and say, okay, what are they really trying to say? And I think that all of us could use more of that in our lives. In fact, this author has a suggestion for how we should approach those packages when they arrive abruptly. Um, Reflect, pause for a moment, long enough to become aware of what you're about to do or say, assess whether it is a good move or a bad one, 
Next would be resist. If you've determined you're about to do something counterproductive, resist the urge to follow through. Resist it. It's so hard when you're hot and, and ready to lash out. And then finally, replace. Once you've successfully reflected and resisted, make a better choice in the moment. Take the right action for the situation you're in so that you achieve the outcome that you want. Remember, think about the outcome, not just what you want to say to the other person uh, who sent a message in a poor package. All right. So that's, um, I guess, my little preachy message for the week. Uh, otherwise, I'm really excited. I'm getting uh, together a story on a brand new drug to treat opioid addiction. So that's kind of the journalism work I'm doing this week. And so I've been researching that and talking to experts. And I cannot wait to bring you that story. Uh, I'm also working on more Folsom Focus stories, which is my hyperlocal digital series. We're doing one on jobs this week. And then we've got one coming up on uh, companies from Japan that have decided to settle in Northern California. That's pretty interesting. Uh, Global Go, I'm working on still. That is for one of my clients, the Centers for International Trade. And we're doing profiles on entrepreneurs that have gone global. One of them being Pam Marone out of Davis, who owns Marone Bio Innovations. So I've got that going on. The P20 thing, which is uh, a bunch of financial transaction companies internationally that get together a couple of times a year uh, or once a year. And uh, we're putting together newscasts for those. It, actually, I'm not the lead on that. My friend Will Frampton is. It's his production company doing it. Uh, but it's fascinating to kind of take a look at the world of financial transactions. So we're going to uh, be putting together those newscasts throughout the year. And I'm going to have one of the cybersecurity experts on this podcast to talk about um, cybersecurity for all of us. So that should be a good one that I'm really looking forward to bringing you. But in the meantime, uh, I'm going to tell you about Peter Rubin. But first, I want to tell you about my friends at New Age Aerial. They bring you beautiful vistas, breathtaking overviews, and an understanding of how things look from above. From movies to commercial photography and video, the drone team at New Age Aerial can get you the shots you need for a fraction of the cost of hiring a pilot and plane. These guys are experienced flyers. Government agencies trust them during big crises. They can even set up a drone with guided monitoring from an engineer on the ground to get exactly the photos and video needed. I went out with these guys, uh, it's been a couple of months ago now, and we shot all the bridges in the, um, the Folsom and Orangevale area. And it was fascinating to watch them work. And we've got the most beautiful images. So I can't wait to bring those to you. They're coming in a future Folsom Focus. And I'm very proud to have them as a sponsor because they are innovators in drone technology and use. New Age Aerial, check them out online at newageaerial.com. Enter promo code FRESHAGENDA to let them know that you heard about them. So my guest today, Peter Rubin. And I reached out to him on Twitter uh, to have him come on this podcast. And he is a fascinating guy, knows so much about virtual reality. He's so plugged in to um, all the different companies. And he also wrote a book called Future Presence, How Virtual Reality is Changing Human Connection, Intimacy, and the Limits of Ordinary Life. The book takes on everything from the pornography industry to sexual harassment in gaming. And uh, it's just a really interesting look at what we will be using soon. And in some cases, what our kids are already using when you're talking about gaming and virtual reality. So. 
Enjoy getting to know Peter Rubin. And again, would love to hear from you. You can drop me a line anytime through my webpage at ChristinaMendonca.com. Peter Rubin joins me now. Good morning, Peter. I feel like we should be having a virtual cup of coffee with our goggles on or a beer or something. <laughs> I'm having a real one right now. We'll just have to pretend. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for being with us today. Talk to me about some of the exciting things coming this summer. I just saw an article about the new Oculus Go, and they said this might be the first virtual reality device that, you know, just normal people who aren't into it will buy. Yeah, that's right. This is the, the birth of a, a new category. We've had, up until now, we've had really lightweight devices that you could drop your phone into and it would run off your smartphone screen and internal sensors, or you could have a, a more expensive, really high-powered headset that tethered to an expensive PC computer. And so you're, you could either be uh, in, a, in an incredibly immersive but expensive VR experience, or you could be in a much cheaper um, but not that immersive VR experience. And so these standalone devices uh, kind of put all the power of a computer into the headset itself. It's not as strong as some of the, the PC-driven ones, but for $200, it gets you up and running. There's nothing to mess around with. You don't have to update anything. You just kind of turn it on download what you want to use, and you're off to the races. So not just the Oculus Go, which was announced this past week, but we've seen a new device uh, at the at the very end of the week from Lenovo, and then there's more stuff coming uh, throughout 2018. Okay, so if you are not a gamer, because it looks like the videos I've seen, the gaming is just fantastic. It's amazing. Um, but if you're not a gamer, what would be, do you think, a typical way people would use these? Yeah, gaming was certainly the the first application that made money. And so, you know, people thought of it in the early days as a, as a gaming technology. Certainly also in the early days, we've seen incredible applications for education and therapy and engineering and design and, and all these kind of professional fields. But for regular people who just want to get into VR, I would say it's probably a combination of being able to travel places and see things they wouldn't normally be able to see and sharing those experiences and other experiences with other people within virtual reality. And, and that sounds strange, but just as a very quick example, uh, you know, we all know what it's like to sit on our couch and watch Netflix. And we, some of us have even kind of gotten on the phone with friends or romantic partners who are miles and miles away and kind of watched the same show at the same time just to have that experience of closeness. But with these headsets, what you can do is sit in a virtual room you are represented by an avatar and your friend is represented by an avatar and you can kind of, you're sitting on a couch and up on the walls of TV playing the show that you're both watching. And if you look to your left, you see your friend next to you on the couch as though you're really there. So the idea of sharing an experience is given more flesh and more depth than, than we've ever had for a networked, uh, a networked experience. You described one of your experiences in your book, Future Presence. You described the experience of going through kind of human evolution, um, with someone else and how much fun it was and how interesting it was and the whole immersive experience of it. But how have designers, I mean, have they gotten over kind of the uncanny valley of the creepiness of being looked at within virtual reality by another being? For those who haven't, they found really remarkable workarounds. And so what you're seeing in these early days of virtual reality as a consumer technology is that 
we can simulate eye contact very well. And within the next year, what our actual eyes are doing are going to be tracked by the headset and translated into virtual reality. So not only will you have eye contact with someone else, but your eyes will blink and move around just as they are in real life. It's not so much the eyes that lead to the uncanny valley. It's what our face does when we talk to each other. And so the way our faces look in virtual reality, including in that evolution experience that I wrote about in the book, we're much more cartoonish than we look in real life. There's not a lot of work being done right now to try to make us look what's called photorealistic. Certainly, there's research being done by companies like Oculus and others. In fact, Oculus just showed off some of its research at Facebook's developer conference this past week in which your face in virtual reality is identical to your face in real life, including how your mouth is moving, what your face is doing, what your eyes are doing. It's it's really incredible, and I would even argue that it gets us past the uncanny valley for the first time. However, that coming into a consumer headset is still going to be uh, a few years away. And so right now, people, designers in particular, are opting for a more abstracted, approachable friendly-looking kind of cartoon version of ourselves. One of the new uh, VR companies that um, deals with sports, they have a deal with uh, basketball, they, they introduced something called, and I'm going to say it wrong, 6D off or 6D something. And it's supposed to give you, explain what that means. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually pronounced, if, if you want to like really sound like you're in with the in crowd in VR, it, it stands for six degrees of freedom. And if you want to shorten it, you can call it six off. Um, six degrees of freedom refers to the way that your head and body can be tracked in virtual reality. The Oculus Go has only three degrees of freedom. It's a three-dock device. And what that means is you can sit and you can look around, you can rotate your head, you can, you can shake it from side to side as though you're saying no, you can tilt it up and down, up and down as if you're saying yes, and you can tilt your ears towards your shoulders. So those are the three rotational axes. Those are the three degrees of freedom. Six degrees of freedom keeps those and adds in the ability to positionally move in space. So you can crouch and you can walk forward uh, and, and objects that are rendered in virtual reality will, if you want to lean over and examine something on the table, it will get closer to you. If you're in a three-dot headset and you lean forward, nothing in your headset is going to change. So that can lead to a weird kind of disconnect in what your, uh, your inner ears think you're doing and what your eyes are seeing. So the, the lighter weight three-dot headsets are better for seated experiences. But when you have a six-dot experience like this basketball thing, you can move within space, even within video for the first time. And it's a very expensive process to render for people, but the end result is, is absolutely remarkable. Wow. wow. That is fascinating. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your book, Future Presence, because uh, I, I originally picked it up and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a tech fan, although I haven't had a lot of experience with virtual reality. I wanted to understand it better. And I thought you did such a great job describing the sense of presence. If you can talk a little bit about that, I, I don't want you to give away the whole book, but just you know, talk a little bit about that sense of presence that you were trying to describe at the beginning of the book to help people understand what is possible and what is coming in VR. Sure. Presence is, is a term that it's been around for a very long time uh, in the kind of world of technological theory. Uh, and, and what it's short for co-presence or telepresence. Uh, and telepresence is just this idea that you and a person who's far away can kind of be doing the same thing or be together in some kind of way. Presence as it's used in virtual reality is the phenomenon that occurs when VR is good enough 
it's stable enough and comfortable enough that your brain for the first time really accepts your virtual surroundings as being your actual surroundings. And that's not, that doesn't mean that you will forget you're wearing a headset. Some part of your brain will always remember that. But what it does mean is when you're presented with a virtual uh, environment and things happen in there, you accept the laws of that virtual world as real. And, and the easiest way to kind of example of what presence can do is uh, for people, anyone who's done a VR demo, who's listening, you, you might've experienced this where you're standing on the edge of uh, either of a building or just the edge of some kind of a platform. And someone who's, who's with you standing in the real world will say, now you see that you're standing on this ledge, you know, lift up your foot and take a step forward. And this is where this idea of kind of your rational brain and your reptilian brain comes into play because your rational brain thinks to itself, okay, well, I'm standing, I know I'm standing in this room. I know I'm wearing a headset. I know if I step off this building, nothing's going to happen. So why I can do it, right? And your reptilian brain, this and this is presence. Your reptilian brain is like, nope, you, you don't know for sure. So I've done this sort of thing more times than I can count. And every time I can pick up my foot and I take a step forward, and as my weight is falling forward, there's always this tiny, tiny fear, no matter how many times I've done it, because the VR is so good that it really does feel like there's a danger that if I can take a step forward off this ledge, I could very well fall. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, yes. And I have seen video of that, people on a ledge and hesitate um, on the edge of that ledge in the virtual space. And that's the that's kind of the the fear-inducing part of presence, and it can certainly be used to terrify people in horror movies and horror games. But presence also enables uh, this whole other host of dynamics that really open up when you're in there with somebody else and you're sharing this experience. And because your head and your hands. Uh, because of the, these controllers that you're holding, your hands are also tracked in virtual space. And so you are able to, through eye contact and the way you move your hands, which is this kind of uh, unbelievably human part of us, the way I move my hands, uh, for people who have seen this in VR, they know it's me immediately because I, I gesticulate a lot. I move my hands around a lot. I'm doing it right now. Um, and because that stuff comes through in VR, there is a feeling that's completely unlike a video game. You are, you really do feel like you are in there with another real person because you are in there with another real person, even though that person is far away and is wearing a headset because we have bodies in virtual reality. And because our hands and our heads are moving the way our real head and hands are moving, we really are together. And that sense of presence, that co-presence leads to intimacy in a way that we've never seen with the technology before. Okay, that's the perfect segue to talk about pornography because they are always on the cutting edge, that business of technology. So how are pornographers trying to achieve intimacy within that space? I mean, you you mentioned in the book how it's not really about what it's been about for years, which is, you know, close-ups of genitals, but it's more uh, a more the feeling, the whispering, the, you know, the intimacy of being there. That's right. I mean, we uh, for decades we we've seen the adult entertainment industry be the ones to popularize a given technology. It happened with VHS tapes. That's a big reason why VHS Betamax in the late '70s and early '80s, and we saw it with CD-ROMs and we saw it with streaming video and all these things that we either have taken for granted in the past or take for granted now, or because this is the way that the adult industry 
uh, pushed itself forward. And the same thing is happening with virtual reality. Besides gaming, it's one of the only things that's proving to be really profitable. Uh, and, and what they found is because of presence, which can even arise in a, a, a scripted video experience in which you don't actually move, like you can look around, but your body doesn't move, because audio is in there as well. And audio uh, is it's called spatialized. And so where a sound is coming from, how close it is to you, what direction it's going, all of that is rendered perfectly in virtual reality. So if someone who's talking from far away, you can close your eyes and hear where it's coming from. If that person comes quote, closer to you in virtual reality, leans forward and whispers in your ear, you feel it and hear it right up close in your ear, and it'll even make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. So all these physical responses that we have to other people and to our proximity to other people, that all comes through in virtual reality. So what people are finding, especially those who, who make uh, pornography and adult entertainment, is the, the people that have VR headsets, they, the, the industry had to follow their lead because they would say, we're going to do this. What do you want to see? And more and more and more, what people wanted was intimacy. So we're even seeing experiences that they take much longer. They're kind of uninterrupted. You don't have, you know, video is edited. So it's cut, 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 cut. And you see all these different angles. And like you said, you see a lot of close-ups. And there's been this real uh, premium in the past years put put on what I can only term as kind of visual evidence that people are having sex, right? Like you said, genitals. Um, <laughs> and what, That's very diplomatic. <laughs> and what's happening now is sometimes that's explicitly cropped out of what you can see. And instead... It's on the other person's whole body, their face, the way they're reacting to, quote, you and the sounds that they're making and how close they are to you and the eye contact. And so porn has always been about sex, but uh, what's really interesting about the first couple of years of how the porn industry has worked with VR is a VR porn experience, and I can't believe I'm going to use this word, apologies to all your listeners, it feels like making love with someone, right? It's not, it's, it's sex is a holistic act. It's not sex chopped up and re-edited and looped and made as extreme as possible. So it's almost quaint in a way. It's almost like this Rockwellian version uh, of porn that's becoming really, really wow. popular. It's, it's completely counterintuitive, and and almost no one saw this coming. That. That is fascinating. That really, truly. Okay. So what about if you don't want to be touched in the virtual space? Uh, there is, uh, in gaming, I, my husband plays online games and stuff and the way that people talk to each other in those games or, you know, can get out of control. And there's a lot of uh, harassment. And right now in your book, I'm reading about that, about the problem with harassment in the virtual space and how some women, I mean, whether it's your avatar or your body, you don't want to be grabbed. What are uh, virtual reactions? technicians doing about this? Yeah. So, so what's amazing about VR is your avatar is your body. That's the whole point of presence. And so personal space exists. Personal space on social media doesn't exist, even though we all know about harassment and toxic speech and the way people can be abusive and bullying online. None of that has an invasion of your personal space. None of that has the feeling of a physical threat. That's what can happen with harassment in virtual reality. And so what people who are designing these multi-user experiences are doing is they're trying to put as many tools of empowerment in the hands of users as possible. So things like personal space bubbles, which you can enlarge. And if anyone comes inside that space that you haven't explicitly given permission to, they will disappear from your view. 
that's just one example. There are, there are kind of a, a lot of other things that people are doing. But one shortcoming with that is sometimes it depends on the user in the heat of the moment when they're being approached, when they're being victimized, to kind of flip through a menu with their hands and find this option and unlock it. So there's this ongoing quest to make these spaces more explicitly designed for the safety of the user. And there are a lot of people who have never tried this, who've never been in a multi-user space in VR. And and their line of, of reasoning is, oh, toughen up. You know, it's not real. You can only take the headset off. But they've never experienced this. And when I say your personal your personal space, your, your, your zone of physical space exists, it really does. And when someone enters that space, it can be it can be completely not just similar to, but as traumatic as a physical attack. Even though you're not feeling the physical contact on every part of your body, you can feel it on your head and your hands because of the way that the headsets and the hand controllers give you some sort of tactile feedback. So the quest is really to make these spaces as catered to a positive and inclusive user experience as possible. Right. You definitely don't want to lose out on half the population of potential customers because women don't feel uh, comfortable or safe entering these multi-user environments. And you're right. I mean, it's all about intent. So if someone's intending to harass you or scare you or bother you or threaten you, um, whether in the virtual space or you know in the real world, it feels the same. The, the woman who leads uh, social VR at Facebook, a woman named Rachel Franklin, uh, just this week she said to me, and this is such a great way to, to describe it. She said, if someone takes, sends you a terrible abusive text message, you're going to throw your phone across the room. But later, you're going to go and you're going to get your phone and you're going to use it uh, business as usual. She said, if someone walks up to you in VR and they whisper that same thing into your ear, you're going to take your headset off and throw it across the room and you're never going to put it back on again. And so this idea that you are really jeopardizing the growth of this technology through a problem that the internet has been experiencing for years is a really stark wake-up call for people who are creating these experiences. Right. You mentioned that uh, of all the companies that you look at in your company, in your book, and there are many of them, and they're all interesting and all doing fabulous things, you said Facebook in particular is really doing something different with virtual reality. Talk to me about that. Yeah, a lot of most, just as as a a convenient name for the cat. Let's call it social VR. And this is anyone who builds an app or a platform in which you can kind of enter various worlds and be with multiple people, and all those people are real. Uh, and they're just avatars of people who are elsewhere in the world. So, of all the social VR platforms, Facebook, all of them try to give you things to do so that you can meet people because it's almost like a chat room in the early days of the internet. You would make an account and you'd quote, walk in, and all you'd see back in those days are kind of screen names and people making in-jokes, and you, you wouldn't know how to start. So in social VR, most companies will give you these little games or fun stuff to do or, um, or meetups or mixers or, or things in which you can meet people and start to form these new friendships. Facebook already knows everyone you know. And so in the beginning of their social VR experiments and, uh, and experiences, they restricted it to only your Facebook friends because you're going to feel safe with them. You're going to know them already. You're going to have this pre-existing relationship. And that's the starting point. And then it becomes, well, what do we want to do together? Where do we want to hang out? And by where do we want to hang out? I mean, Facebook, like some other places, will give you the ability to use any 360-degree photo or video 
as the world in which you're interacting, meaning it, it's a giant sphere and it doesn't feel like a sphere to you because you're inside it. It feels like the world. So I've, I've hung out with people uh, in Alaska under a starry sky. I've hung out with people at a panda farm in China. I've hung out with people on the surface of Mars. And these are all people that were already my friends. Facebook is leveraging the, the, the thing that no one else can deliver. And that is your trust in the people you already know. And now they're beginning to expand it for the first time, which is even more fascinating. And so just this past week, they showed for the first time a thing that they are rolling out called Oculus Venues, in which thousands of people are going to be able to sit together in a virtual arena, for lack of a better term, and watch a live sporting event or a comedy show or a concert together. And this is going to be the first time that you will be in there surrounded by people you don't know. So some interesting things they're doing is not only will there be human moderators in there to make sure that everyone is behaving, but they will try, if you want and you opt into this, they will try and seat you near people who might have similar interests to yours, or they'll notify you if one of your actual Facebook friends has entered this venue, and then you can go and find them and sit with them. So they're beginning slowly to open the door from just your trusted friendships to what it's going to be like to meet people. And because so many people use Facebook and because Facebook is behind what is right now the most affordable, most convenient way to use virtual reality being the Oculus Go headset that you mentioned, it's going to be a really interesting time to see the growth of social VR and to see what presence can mean for the birth of these new relationships. Wow. Sounds like the death of FOMO because my daughter's traveling right now. She's in Croatia. So I'd be able to join her on the beach and hang out. Yeah. If she takes a 360 degree photo and then you join together in Facebook's uh, social VR world, which is called Spaces, you can hang out with her on the beach that she's in at that moment. That is crazy. Okay. We've talked about a lot about having these virtual experiences with real human beings. What about the introduction of AI? I mean, it brings to mind a few episodes of Black Mirror I've seen recently. When we start introducing AI with virtual reality, so we're interacting with these artificial intelligences in these virtual spaces, um, is, is this a thing? Is this something that's being developed? Absolutely. And it's going to start very slowly. And it's going to start in ways that we might not even expect. I mean, we all use Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant. Uh, and Cortana, and we can think of these as the first, the first AI assistants. And the first step in virtual reality and in other ways is going to be making those AI assistants embodied, giving them a form. And so we have companies that are already creating for kind of hotel check-in experiences and things like that. <laughs> 3D captured humans, like motion captured, so they look incredibly realistic, married with artificial intelligence to help you do things like check into a hotel, check out of the hotel, order room service, and you can look through your phone using augmented reality, which is kind of the cousin of VR, and see these people and interact with them by voice or by a simple menu. That's going to enter virtual reality soon, too. And so the, the, the first generation of the way we work with embodied AI is going to be probably in some sort of service capacity. It's there to make our experience easier. But as AI gets more complex and more powerful, 
that AI is probably uh, going to be used to help populate the space. So you will be somewhere with multiple avatars, and many of them might be real humans, but just as many of them might be AI. And I'm not talking about next year. I'm talking about farther down the road. But as AI grows more complex and becomes more natural and becomes more human-like, then it's going to be used to give just more and more depth and immersion to social VR and every other form of VR. And if you wanted to dovetail this with the talk about VR pornography that we talked about, it's impossible not to think that those two are going to come together in the in the not quite near term future, but that AI is going to be used to help realize people's fantasies in an all new way. Absolutely, I'm I'm thinking of you know adult film stars that may sell their AI experience to someone else, which which is a little creepy as well, because then they're having virtual experiences with someone that's not really happening in real life. But if they see them out in public, they may feel too comfortable. I mean, there's just a whole realm of, of danger and possibility there. Oh, yeah. And, and this is really, this opens the door for kind of one of the things that people are concerned about with VR. And that is, you, you made such a great example that you use, which is someone set, you know, creating a likeness, an AI likeness or a virtual likeness for themselves. They've opted into that. They're making money from that. But we're already seeing, not in VR, just on the internet, people creating what are called deepfakes. And that is putting celebrity faces on actresses in porn videos. And so this is not opt-in. These people's likeness is being used without their consent. And if you bring that into VR and you're able to kind of create the idea that someone is doing this, uh, it's a, it's an, that's very, very black mirror. And so the internet, as we know, the social media, like social media places in particular, we talk about verifying our identities. So not only is verifying our identities going to be a huge part of virtual reality and multi-user virtual reality, but so is authenticating an experience. Like you need to know if the experience that you're having is real or if it's somehow virtual or augmented. And so down the road, that's going to be a thing as well. And there is going to, I can almost guarantee, be some sort of regular regulatory approach that's going to need to be taken, whether it's kind of criminal statutes or something that the FTC or FTC takes on. But we're entering a world in which we're going to have to be very, very careful as we create these experiences and as AI and other technology become more powerful to use along with VR, that we're doing this in the right way. Because there's so much promise that the technology holds, but there's also a lot of ways it can be misused. Right. And you are, uh, I know you write about this for a living and this is your life and you bring all of these uh, new technologies to the world so that we can all understand them. But um, you seem to be very, very optimistic about... uh, the the pleasure outweighing the pain when it comes to introducing these these new technologies. Why are you so optimistic about it? I would say that I I am guardedly optimistic. I mean, if I had to choose the way it's going to go, I side with optimism because that's always been the mission of Wired as as a magazine and as a company is is progress if it's done in the right way is good. And what's the reason that I, I like talking about the ways that this could go wrong is that's the way to prevent them. If people put their head in the sand and they pretend that VR is just completely utopian and nothing can go wrong, that's the way that bad stuff can crop up. That's what happened with the internet. Everyone said, oh, the internet is incredible and unfettered anonymity is the only way to go and everything needs to be free and this is this is what the internet needs to be. And then when people started making money, they just started to grow and grow and grow and scale and scale and scale and they forgot what can happen to the people who are using the technology, to the users. And that's the most important thing with virtual reality and the growth is how is this going to affect us? 
How is our privacy? How are our identities? How is the data of our usage? How is the way that we can be victimized or, or bullied in VR going to become a problem? If we think as hard as we can, as creatively as we can to identify these problems, that's how we prevent them. That's how we anticipate solutions. And that's why I'm optimistic, because we're already talking about this stuff. It's not just roses and sunshine. It's roses and sunshine and Black Mirror. So let's take the Black Mirror out of the equation as soon as we can. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> um, it is. It is the best. Okay, so where can we... Obviously, we can find your writing on Wired, and or we can get future presents, and I would definitely recommend it. It's a great book. Where else can we find you and see more of Peter Rubin? Oh, great question. So on social media, uh, Twitter is probably where I'm most active, uh, and you can find me there at Proven Self, P-R-O-V-E-N-S-E-L-F. I also have kind of a public Facebook page, and there I will sometimes uh, create videos from within virtual reality talking about interesting stories that are coming out of VR. So it's a way to kind of see me as an avatar and hear me talking about what's so interesting in VR. Um, so they can also find me there. Uh, if they search for me on Facebook and also on LinkedIn, I do those videos as well. Okay. And if you're a complete, I mean, a lot of people that are going to be listening to this are familiar with some form of VR, but others may not be. If you're just a noob to the technology, what should you start with? Uh, if you have an Android phone, uh, a powerful Android phone like a, a Samsung one in particular, you could start with a headset that lets you drop your phone into it. A lot of headsets will let you drop any phone into it, but I wouldn't recommend them because they're not created to work with those phones, so it's not going to be that comfortable of an experience. If you want something that's a polished, easy-to-use um, kind of worry, hassle-free device. The Oculus Go, which just came out, it's $200, which I know is not, it's not a whim. It's not just an impulse buy at the supermarket, but it is going to give you a really easy-to-use, um, convenient, and powerful way to experience a lot of the things that we're talking All about. Right. So much fun to catch up with Peter Rubin, and uh, he's come on KFBK on the morning show a couple of times with us to talk about new innovations coming in AI and VR, and be sure to get his book, Future Presence. It's a, a fascinating look at what we've got going on now and how all of this technology is really changing the way that humans connect with each other. It's changing uh, the packaging for the message as I you know, refer back to the beginning of this podcast. All right, let me tell you quickly about New Age Design. They are web development with purpose, ambition, and analytics. If you need digital marketing, you need design, SEO, SEM, Google Analytics setup, they can do that. They'll get you all set up with web hosting, and they know all the key technologies. They've spent decades managing various UX and web marketing projects for large corporations, giving them the opportunity to work with the most talented digital agencies in the world. They can help you. Check them out at newagedesigns.com. When you reach out, use the code FRESHAGENDA, and they will take great care of you. And I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me. ChristinaMendonza.com is my website. You can go there. You can also reach me at KFBK.com. And you can join Dan Mitchinson and me weekday mornings, 5 a.m. until 9 a.m. on News Radio KFBK, 93.1 FM, 1530 a.m. in the Sacramento area or worldwide on your iHeartRadio app. Listen from anywhere. My daughter listens from Australia. Oh, and she's coming in next week from Australia. Can't wait to see her. All right, mom moment. If you like what you hear, leave me a rating on iTunes or on SoundCloud, and we'll catch up with you next week. I'm Christina Mendonca, and this has been A Fresh Agenda. Let's stay connected. 
This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.